All right, this week we continue our series on the lost arts, and this week we're focused on the art of praying. I want to remind you, I gave this out to you a couple weeks ago on the art of noticing this little uh, card to write some names in here of people that you're meeting along the way that might not know this Jesus like you know him. Hopefully you're writing some names in there. If you don't have one of these, we have some of the information booth back there in the back, and you can grab one and kind of be going through this exercise, noticing people around you and filling them in. In the middle, it could be your desk, your home, your bleacher on the soccer sidelines, your workout machine at the gym, whatever you want to do to fill in those names around would be great, okay? All right, so we're going we're gonna to start the art of praying, but before we do that, let's pray. Is that all right? Pray. So Lord, that song was pretty uh, in the zone for us as we run and run and run and run and run all over the place. It's really hard in our running to hear you to listen to what you're saying to us. So Lord, we pray this morning now that your spirit would settle here in the room and that you, Lord Jesus, would speak to your people and that, Lord God, we would be slowed enough to hear what you're saying to us and to soak it in and to practice it. In your name we pray, amen. So Mark Batterson is a pastor in Washington, D.C., wrote a book called The Circle Maker, He opens the book with an interesting story from the Jewish Midrash. It's about a guy named Honi. Honi is a prayer warrior that lives outside the city of Jerusalem back in the first century B.C., the way the story goes. I actually looked this up. I did some fact-checking. This guy was a real guy. So I'm telling you about a real guy. So Honi was this prayer warrior, and in the first century B.C., there was a huge drought that hit Israel. This is before Jesus came on the scene. This is like 400 years since the prophets have spoken. So most people think that God has kind of left them, and there's this giant drought. The land is drying up. The crops are going away. There's no water to drink, and people are desperate for water. So they go to Honey, who kind of hangs out outside the, the walls of Jerusalem, and they say to Honey, Honey, we've got to pray for rain. Honey takes his staff in his hand. He sticks it in the dust of the ground, and he spins a slow circle with his staff and draws a circle on the ground trapping him inside the middle of it. And Honey gets down on his knees in the middle of the circle, and he says, with his hands raised to heaven, Lord, we need your mercy here. We need rain. I'm not leaving this circle until you send rain. Kind of demanding, huh? And wouldn't you know it, the story goes that as he starts his prayer, it starts to drizzle from heaven. And the people are like, whoa. Unbelievable. But Honey's not satisfied. He says, Lord, that's not the rain I prayed for, Lord. I prayed for rain that would fill the cisterns and the ravines and water the plants and the crops and restore the earth to its fruitful spot. And then it starts to pour like crazy, like torrential downpour. And people are thinking, it's going to be a flash flood. We've got to watch out. We've got to get out of here. And Honey says, Lord, that's not the, that's not the rain I was praying for. I was praying for your gracious reign of favor and blessing on your people. And the way the story goes, the rain begins to slow and this steady trickle of rain falls on the earth and the drought is over because of Honey the circle maker praying to God. Now, Dallas Willard says this about the American church. The open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that a vanishingly small percentage of those talking about prayer and Bible reading are actually doing it. 
This is truly a lost art, praying. We just don't do it very much, and frankly, most of us would not have nearly the faith or the whatever, the, the boldness to pray to God like that, right? To draw a circle around something and say, I'm not leaving this circle until you deliver, God. This is it. I believe you can come through. And some of us would say, that's not very reformed to demand God like that. It's kind of a you know, lot of control. It's okay. Um, but if we want to impact the world for Jesus, it will require us to pray. Not just once, but regularly pray. To take our cues from Jesus. In fact, if you study the life of Jesus, it's amazing how saturated it was with prayer. Check this out. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is regular practice for Jesus. Seven times in the gospel, this happens. Seven times it's recorded that he got up before people were awake and went out to pray by himself. Okay? It gets better. Check this out. Luke 6. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. So before he calls his disciples, the guys who would build the church, build the kingdom after he left the earth, he prays through the night to get direction from God on who he should choose. Whoa. Gets even better. Check this out. Luke chapter 9. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? You know what happened, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in this moment of prayer, the first ever declaration of who Jesus is is set out loud by Peter. This moment of prayer. Look at this one. Luke 9. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying... The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now this is a a good prayer time, don't you think? Huh? Peter and John, they didn't even want to leave. They're like, can we just stay up here? Who who can blame them? Right? They're praying and this is happening. Now this is only a small fraction of the number of times Jesus prays in the Gospels. He prays before and at his baptism. He prays before he raises Lazarus from the dead. He prays at the feeding of the 5,000. He prays before he walks on water. He prays... Uh, that Peter would not be sifted by Satan like wheat. He prays in the garden. He prays in the cross. It continues. I couldn't believe it this week, actually studying for this, how many times Jesus is actually praying. And it's actually mentioned in the Gospels. You should check it out. It's wild. So this guy, his life was saturated with prayer. He knew that as a human being, he could not actually accomplish the will of his Father without the power of prayer. He just knew this. Now, you might ask yourself, well, how in the world does prayer help us on the mission of God? What does prayer actually accomplish? Why would this be such a big deal? Why do we need to pray? Okay? Well, I want to show you. So I need my volunteers to come up here this time. I'm going to show you what's going on with prayer. Oh, Andy, you made it back. It's good. Would have had to get somebody from the studio audience otherwise. All right. Why don't you guys come over back here so everyone can see you? Okay, just stand like that. Perfect. Okay, we're going to give Andy a part. Now, these, these are our actors today, so try to smile at them at least. You know, you don't have to smile at me, but smile at them at least, okay? All right, here we go. So, Andy's going to be the body, okay? In, in, uh, in Christian thinking and theology, the body gets a bad rap. It oftentimes is considered to be the flesh. It's like the source of all evil and terrible things that happen to us, right? It always is called the flesh in the Bible, and people are always down about the body, and we're always telling the body, don't, don't look at, don't hear, don't touch, you know, keep away from that stuff. 
But, you know, if you think about it, we put tons of emphasis on the body in our culture. We exercise, we eat right, we take care of our bodies, we like to make sure we look a certain way. I mean, we'll even do treatments to our body to make us look younger when we get older, true? Yeah. You can see I color my hair, right? Just to keep, okay. So that's the body, first part. Second part of a person is the soul. Okay, Kate's going to play the soul. The soul is the uh, personality which includes the will, the volitional will, the emotions, and the mind of a person. Every person in the world is made by God with a unique soul. Everyone in this room has a unique soul. You're all uniquely designed by God, knit together in your mother's wombs with a unique soul, right? And this soul beats inside of you, and this kind of is a life force that goes on inside of you. Now, in most Greek thinking, we stop here. We just don't go beyond this. This is body and soul, that's what we are. But Hebrews and the Bible takes it further. The Bible says there's also a spirit. This is the part of man, when, when God breathed into Adam and Eve the breath of life in the Garden of Eden, this came alive in people. The spirit came alive. This is the part that's uniquely designed deep inside of us to relate to God. Okay? So no other part of creation has body, soul, spirit. Right? Trees don't have it. Animals don't have it. Only humans have it because this is designed to relate to God in unique ways. Is this biblical? Well, again, you should do a little study. Look up the word spirit on your little computer concordance and check it out. But check some of these verses out. The spirit of a person is the Lord's lamp searching out his inmost being. I love that. So the lamp of the Lord is lit inside of people when they get to know this idea of connecting with their father, right? Look at this verse. But it is a spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, there it is, that gives him understanding. You know this one, Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Where's the spirit going to reside? Right here. The Spirit of God is going to come right here and He's going to enliven your spirit so you can relate to God again. Okay? Look at this. Apostle Paul understood this. May the, God, may the God Himself, may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And we can keep going on that, but we won't. Now, here's the thing. The Greeks said that you could separate the body and the soul. You could do things in the body that would not affect your soul. So, you know, go ahead and go crazy. Sow your wild oats. doesn't matter because deep down inside, your soul's fine. But the Hebrews said, uh-uh, that's not the way it works. They said that there was actually this sort of, uh, uh, this invisible cord that was tied between these three parts of a person, connecting them intricately. And this cord ran between the body and the soul and the spirit and linked them together inseparably so that basically whatever happened to the body, what happened to the soul, whatever happened to the spirit would happen to the soul, and these things would be interconnected. So there's no way you can just act out in your body without impacting yourself deep inside. Make sense? Now, Here's what we also know from the Bible. Total depravity says that everyone on planet Earth, even those cute little babies, are born dead. Okay? So look at how people look when they're born. Jacob, that was Jacob acting. Did you get that? You guys like that? I love that. Give him a little applause. Yeah, that's good. All right. So 
So Jacob just died, the spirit just died, which means the part of the person that is uniquely designed to relate and connect with their father, their creator, is dead. So people out in the world that don't know Jesus, don't know God, they're they are just longing to know him. There's a hunger inside. Something's calling from deep inside, but they don't know him and they can't get to know him because their body and soul are running the show. This is world consciousness. This is self-consciousness. And this is God consciousness. They have no God consciousness because it's been taken away. They're dead. So we start yapping at them with the gospel Tell them all kinds of truth, and they're just like, what? What? I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because their spirit's dead. Look what, look what happened. Look at the Bible says again. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the spirit's dead. The mind can't understand because the enemy is putting the blinders on it. Not going to let you see this. Not going to let you get this. Have you ever talked to people that, about Jesus, and they look at you like, I don't get it. I have, tons of times. Look at this one. Paul gets even more specific. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned, discerned through the Spirit. Okay, look at this verse. This is Jesus speaking. No one can... No one can I will raise him up in the last day. Now, Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, well, how do I get to be part of this kingdom of God thing? And Jesus said, well, you've got to be raised from the dead. I'm already alive. Am I going to go back in my mother's womb and get born again? That's ridiculous. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the spirit. The spirit of God has to breathe on you again, the breath of life. (gasps) And then you're going to be resurrected from the dead. Deep inside, right? Your spirit's going to come alive again. And now Jesus has moved into your spirit and this becomes your new look, right? The spirit of God becomes the thing that reigns in your life, that connects you to your father. So guys, think about it. When we're doing evangelism, we're trying to change the world and help people understand Jesus. We are trying to raise their spirits from the dead. Can you do that? Can I do that? No. That's something only God can do. Spiritual rebirth is a God thing. Only Jesus can resurrect people from the dead, right? Only God's power can do so. So that's why prayer becomes essential. Every person you're talking to about Jesus, you have to pray for them to get it because otherwise they won't get it, okay? Thank you. Thank you, team. You guys can go and tie yourselves somewhere. All right, nice job. Now, if you think about it, this gets even more profound because... Blaise Pascal said that every person on planet Earth has a God-shaped vacuum, right? That is longing to be connected and filled with God. So when people are doing spiritual weird stuff out there, they're just trying to answer the deep cry inside them for a connection with their creator. But it's just off the beaten path. It's not on the truth. So what we have to do is point them to the truth, right? Pray for them to get the truth. Paul was great at this. Look at Ephesians. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Whoa. Look at this one. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being or in your spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Look at this one. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Wait a minute. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, you can only know it through your spirit, right? You experience the love of God in your spirit. You understand God really cares about you. When you get that, nothing can take that away. You can't understand with your brain. You can only get it deep inside in your spirit, right? That's what Paul's praying for here. So we need to pray these prayers for the people in our lives who don't know Jesus so they can have this supernatural rebirth to understand who Jesus really is, right? So their spiritual hunger can be satisfied. Now, I've gone to a lot of camps and because I'm with junior high kids sometimes, I, I do a lot of praying. <laughs> Sorry, junior high kids. You know, they're squirreling around. So, so, I don't know, a couple years ago, I was at a camp full of junior high kids. And I was thinking to myself, I got up there the first couple days, I gave my best talks. It had jokes, it had stories, it had everything. Kids were laughing. I mean, I was doing, I was doing my best, you know, song and dance. But after two days, I was like, man, I don't think these kids really understand who Jesus is yet. They, they like Jeff Klein, but that's not why we're here, to like Jeff Klein. We're here to like Jesus. I don't think they really like Jesus yet. So I got up on Wednesday morning early, and I was going, okay, Lord, what should I do to help these kids to get to know you? And I literally heard very distinctly, I want you to pray with these kids, Jeff. Pray with them. And I was like, okay, Lord, sure. I'm going to pray with 400 middle school kids in a room. Are you kidding me? I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm not doing that. So literally, I went that morning and gave another talk. Another talk with more bells and whistles and more, you know, swinging my hips, whatever I got to do to keep these kids going. And I got done with that, and I thought, I don't think Jesus is here yet. He hasn't really, I don't know, these kids aren't getting it. And all during the day, I heard the Lord say, pray with them. Just pray with them. I argued with them the whole day. Finally, I said, okay, God, you want me to make a fool out of myself in front of 400 junior high kids? Fine. I'll pray with them. I learned this prayer from Pastor Cho in South Korea, the tabernacle prayer. I went into the, the chapel that night, gathered these 400 kids together, and I said, okay, guys, tonight, we're going to just pray. I'm going to lead you through this prayer, and we're just going to pray. And I cannot tell you, I mean, it was like a bomb went off in that place. Kids on their faces before the Lord, kids telling me about Jesus sitting next to them, talking to them. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I was arguing with God because I thought I knew better. Really? Come on, Jeff, wake up. God's trying to help you, right? He's trying to move in his power, do things only he can do. I just have to get out of his way. Isn't it kind of comforting to know that you don't have to do anything perfect? You can just say, Lord, help me do this, and he'll help you do it. Look at John Piper says, God is not looking for people to work for him so much as he's looking for people who will let him work for them. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. Neither is it a call to Christian service. On the contrary, the gospel commands us to give up and hang out a help-wanted sign. Then the gospel promises that God will do work for us if we do. So on this mission of God, the people you've put on your card, are you praying for them? Are you lifting them up by name, drawing circles around their lives, and saying, God, I want this person to get to know you. I need your help. Show me what to do. Help me understand. 
That's the first reason that we need prayer, right? Is the reason that, that only God's in charge of rebirth, okay? The next two reasons are quicker, but the second one's this. We need to find out where God's already at work and how he's already at work in people around us and join him. You know, there's people, t- people in the Christian church tell me, well, God's not my neighborhood. It's terrible over there. There's all these crazy people. I'm like, he's there. He's at your workplace. He's at your neighborhood. He's at your gym. He's, he's with your neighbors. He's at work already doing things. We just have to find it. Now, the Jewish Christians had this interesting carryover from the Jew- their Jewish roots. They prayed five times a day, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m. They were literally continuing that practice when they became Christians. So look at this right here, Acts 10, verse 9. About noon, one of the times of prayer, the following day as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went on, up on a roof to pray. You know what happens to him, right? He's up on the roof. Down comes this vision of these pigs, and he's told to eat these pigs. And he's like, Lord, I would never eat these pigs. This is unpure, unclean. And the Lord says to him, look, Peter, you don't get to call impure what I've made pure. I want you to go downstairs. There's three men waiting for you, and they're going to take you to this guy, Cornelius, who's also been praying. I've appeared to him. He's waiting for you. So Peter goes downstairs, and they go to Cornelius' house. Look what the Bible says about Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now look at that. This guy's not a Christian. He's praying regularly. He's giving to those in need. He's devout and he's God-fearing, but he's not a Christian. Peter sent to him to introduce him to Jesus. Do you think, do you think maybe in your neighborhood there's a Cornelius? Someone who's reading their Bible, seeking the Lord, their spirits crying out for God. And they're just waiting for some Christian to show up and explain to them what this Jesus is all about. That's easy evangelism, isn't it? If you could find that person, that'd be a, it'd be a cakewalk. They'd be like inviting you to tell them what's going on, right? That's what we got to do. We got to be looking saying, God, where are you already at work? Where are the Corneliuses in my community that I can go to? Those are called persons of peace that are already ready to listen to your message. You need to be asking God, God, where are you at work? Show me. Help me understand so I can enter into what you're doing. Now, um, when I was at Faith Church in Dyer, Indiana, we first were in this tiny old church building. And as the church started to grow, we decided to build a bigger building. And we bought this piece of property in Indiana, and we went out there to dedicate that piece of property to the Lord. There might have been three or 400 of us out there that night. We each had, were given a blue flag, a little triangular blue flag with a little stick on it. And we had to write Bible verses on one side, on the other side, write a prayer for the piece of property dedicated to God. So we stood out there in the property, and we wrote our Bible verses, wrote our prayers, and then we all prayed together. We sang some songs. We all went home. The next morning, oh, by the way, we stuck those flags in the ground on the piece of property to leave them there. So there was all these blue flags all over the property when we left. The next morning, I got to church. I was the only pastor in the building. Some man from the neighborhood called in. He wanted to talk to a pastor. So I answered the phone. He said, hey, I got up this morning, and there were like, I don't know, hundreds of blue flags in my front yard. He said, they got put there during the night by somebody. I said, oh, sir, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We were just dedicating the property across the street from you, and we put those flags out to pray for the property, and some vandal must have moved them into your yard during the night. I'm really sorry. I'll be right over to clean them up. I'm serious. I'll bring somebody with me. We'll clean them up. He goes, wait a minute. I'm not calling for an apology. I'm calling to say thank you. What? 
He said, yeah, last night I went to bed. My life was kind of falling apart. And I was asking God to show me that he was still here and still with me. I got up this morning. There were 400 blue flags in my yard with prayers on one side and scripture verses on the other. Thank you. Whoa! Right? That's like amazing. We didn't do anything. God was at work through our prayers for that property and just moved already in the neighborhood. He found the Cornelius that was already praying for his presence and boom, showed up in a mighty way. Right? It's amazing. So what if we started praying and asking God to show us where he's at work? Who knows? There's one last way that prayer comes into the mission of God. It's actually asking God what it might look like or how it might look to minister to somebody. Now, most of us learn formulas. You know, we go over here and we introduce someone to Jesus and then we think the next person we meet, we're going to just follow the same formula. You know, we all know the four spiritual laws, right? We just give the formula and everyone gets the formula. No, that's not how it works. Look at Jesus again. Okay, as he went along, he's traveling, he sees a man, notices a guy blind from birth. His disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples are like, hey, I want to get into a theological debate. Whose fault is this, Jesus? Somebody sinned. We've got to find out who the sinner is. Jesus, he, he forgets that. He says this, neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, Jesus has run into lots of blind guys. You would think he had a formula by now, how to heal a blind guy. Right? You speak this certain way, you tap him on the, on the right ear, not the left ear, I don't know, whatever your formula is, you just do it. You've already healed a bunch of blind guys, just follow the formula. But Jesus doesn't do that, because Jesus is speaking to his father, and he knows exactly what this guy needs. So look at verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And guess what? He didn't just see with his physical eyes. His spirit's eyes were opened through this experience, right? Jesus knew exactly what to do in this experience. Jesus wants to instruct us what to say to people, what their spiritual address is. Make sense? So everyone you meet along the way has a spiritual address. Things going on in their lives that only Jesus knows, and he wants to give you the words to speak to them. You just have to ask him, hey, Lord, what should I say to this person? Hey, Lord, how should I minister to this person? Maybe he'll tell you to rake their leaves, sweep their driveway. I don't know, because it might be the very thing they need in that moment, right? That's finding people's spiritual addresses. So I was in Colorado at camp, Colorado camp a few years back. We send kids out almost every year for a discipline of silence for 15 minutes into the woods. So we sent kids out for 15 minutes, and me and some other friends stayed in the chapel, and we said to kids, if you need prayer, you can come back to the chapel. We'll pray for you. So these kids um, went out into the woods to sit quietly, and one kid came back to the chapel. And he said, hey, you know, I really want to get to know this Jesus, but I, something's blocking the way. I don't know what it, what it is. Can you guys pray for me? So got some of my friends. We gathered around this student, and we laid hands on him, and we started to pray for him. My friends started praying out loud. I was just praying in my head, hey, Lord, can you just show us what's going on? I mean, this kid wants to know you, Lord. Can't you just show us what's going on? And then I saw in my head a brown wooden door with three yellow glass windows. And then it went away. We finished the prayer, said goodbye to the kid. I said to my friends, guys, I think I'm having like too much Mountain Dew or something. Maybe, maybe the altitude's getting to me because I said, I saw this thing, these brown wooden door, three yellow. And they said, you gotta go find that kid right now. So I ran out of the basketball court. I, I got to this kid. I said, hey, I gotta ask you a question. 
does a brown wooden door with three yellow glass windows mean anything to you? He said, that's my bedroom door in my cottage in northern Michigan. I said, really, what happened there? He goes, that's where I was sitting when my parents called up and told me that my grandparents had been killed in a car accident on the highway. I'm so mad at God. I never got to say goodbye to them. And he starts just crying. I said, man, I think God just let you know what stands between you and him. You need to forgive God, and then you can get to know him. Now, I did not know this. I did not know this kid. I never met him before. If I would have asked God, right, what he needed, I would have said something really stupid. It would have been totally off the beaten path, right? Have you done this? I've done this many times. Okay? Look at this. Ian Bounds says this. Talking to people for God is a great thing, but talking to God for people is greater still. So I have one last story for you. Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and he meets this blind beggar along the side of the road. Actually, he doesn't really meet him. The blind beggar's sitting there, and he's yelling, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Right? And the people are like, hey, shh, shh, stop it. He's busy. And he, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he keeps yelling, and eventually Jesus says, okay, bring him over to me. Look what happens. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I love that question. I bet this guy didn't say, I'd like to hear a sermon. I bet he didn't say, I want you to do that that bread miracle you did again. I could use a little bread. No, I bet he said, I want to see. I want to see. If Jesus walked up to you, and ask you what you want him to do for you, would you be able to answer? And would your prayer be like Honey's prayer in the circle? Big, expecting God to move mightily? And what about your prayer for these neighbors? What would you want Jesus to do for these people? Would you be able to tell them? I want my neighbor, George, Jesus, to know you. Give me opportunity for that to happen in any way you see fit. Right? And on it goes. So in your bulletin today, under the what's God's word for you today, I've given you four different passages you can pray for your neighbors. Okay? So you can look these up. Put your neighbor's name in the passage. This is a lot of Paul's prayers. Put your neighbor's name in the passage and pray this for your neighbor. Okay? You don't have to make this up on your own. Just pray for your neighbor. Okay? Also, on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., uh, a couple weeks ago, a young mom in this church came to my office and said, um, I'm just be obedient to God, but I think we're supposed to be praying for this outward movement stuff in our church. Would you want to help me do that? I said, that'd be great. So we got a few people together on that Tuesday night, and we prayed back in the green room. Well, this Tuesday night, we're going to do it again at 7 p.m. I'm inviting all of you. Anybody that wants to come pray for the outward movements of Elmer's Christian Reformed Church, come Tuesday night. We'll be in the garden room over here. We're expecting, of course, a larger crowd than the 10 we had last time. And we're just going to pray, okay? If you can't come and join us praying, then just take some of these prayers and begin to pray for God's movement in this community through Elmhurst Church, okay? You can do that right where you you live, right where you work, right where you play, okay? Now, right now, we're going to finish this sermon by being quiet for about two minutes. The first minute... I want you to listen for a name that God might bring to your mind. Someone out there that you know that doesn't know Jesus. 
Okay, just let God bring that name to mind. And then I want you to spend the next minute lifting that person to the Lord, drawing a circle around their life, asking God to use you in some way to enter into this spiritual conversation with them. Okay, you with me? So we're just gonna close our eyes, be quiet for a minute. We're gonna listen for that name. And then I want you, once you get the name, you can start praying for that person. Then I'll close it off. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need you to stretch out your hand in power and go to work on our behalf, Lord. You've given us this mission to accomplish on planet Earth. It is above and beyond our ability and our power. We pray, Jesus, that you would show us how to move, where to go, and what to do. And that you would come around our efforts with your spirit's might and power. We pray all this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.